Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Maim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you for being a gracious and loving God, for being a God who desires to interact with your creation, a God who desires to wrap your embrace around us, a God who desires to uh, provide your atonement, your final atonement in your one and only begotten Son, Lord, for our salvation, a God who desires nothing more than to fill us with your indwelling Ruach HaKodesh, your Holy Spirit, that we may be used by you for the good and glory of your kingdom and to see more and more and more come to faith in the promised Jewish Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach, and especially in this world and day and age that we live in, Father, we pray that your light, that your Shekinah, your divine glory in our lives will radiate, will shine, will burst off of us, Father, so that the darkness does not overcome your light. We believe perfect faith in your word and in the truth of your word, Father, and the truth of your salvation. I pray that as we open up your word tonight, that you will speak boldly into our lives. And Father, that it be your words heard, your heart received and that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have already ordained for this purpose. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen. I'm doing something a little different this year. Uh, not just different in the sense of, like, we don't usually do it this way in our congregation, but different in the sense of, I just don't really do this very often in general. Um, but normally when uh, we have our, our messages or sermons or whatever you want to call them around here, it's based off of the Torah Parsha or the, the pre, preset reading that we do each and every Shabbat or on special feasts and festivals throughout the year. Uh, but I really felt the Lord about three, four months ago put a, uh, uh, a word on my heart for a sermon series through the High Holy Days. Um, and I'm, I don't usually do these, so we're just going to kind of roll with it and see what happens. Um, but uh, I believe it's a very vital and important thing for our community and for anyone who, who hears this, whether it's through podcast or, or the, the live stream or what have you. Uh, but we're going to be kind of flowing through this sermon series called The Call over the course of uh, both of our Rosh Hashanah services, both Yom Kippur services, and then Sukkot and the Shabbat that falls during Sukkot. Um, and so the, the sermon series, as I just said, is called The Call, a High Holy Day series. Uh, and each of the feasts, we're going to focus on a specific reality of the call from the Lord. And so for Rosh Hashanah, the call of repentance is the call we are focusing on. For Yom Kippur, it'll be the call of uh, sanctification. And for Sukkot, the call of kingdom living. Uh, and so I want you, uh, it's cliffhanger because each service is going to have a different message, as it always does, but each service is going to have a different message, specifically feeding into this theme, this sermon series that the Lord has put on my heart for this season that we're in. And I don't mean just this season in terms of the high holy day season, but the season that we live in in these days that are before us, because the Lord has some really awesome things in store for the body of Messiah in the, the coming years. Uh, he's got some really awesome things in store prophetically. Um, and I believe that we are seeing in time uh, uh, prophetic realities 
becoming fulfilled and before our very eyes, before our very midst. Uh, and so it's important that we as believers in Messiah cleave to the realities of his word and understand that each of the moedim, each of the appointed days that God has set aside and set apart for us that are listed. And you go back to Leviticus 23 and read them all. It goes from the Shabbat, which in my opinion is the most important, the weekly Shabbat, the seventh day Sabbath. Uh, and then it goes to Pesach or Passover, Shavuot, uh, um, and, and in there is, is uh, Yom Habicharim, first fruits. Uh, then it goes to the fall feasts. Uh, the fall feasts are going to be Rosh Hashanah, which we're here this evening for uh, Yom Kippur and Sukkot. And each of these have a prophetic reality to them. All right, It's not just the Lord says, hey, I was bored. Here's some rules for you to follow on top of all the other rules I gave you. But they were prophetic. They were specific to the coming of Mashiach, to the, the, what Messiah was intending to do among his people, Israel, and through his people, Israel, for the nations as a whole. Um, and we see with the first coming of Mashiach that he fulfills the first coming of Messiah. He fulfills the spring feast's prophetic purpose. He comes as our sacrifice lamb, as our Passover lamb who died so that death, eternal death, which is the consequence and punishment of sin, will pass over us. Then we move to first fruits, uh, Yom Habicharim, and he is the resurrection of the, or the first fruits of the resurrection. Uh, and then we move to uh, Shavuot, and Shavuot's the feast of weeks, and the Christian world is known as Pentecost, and, and Penta means 50, so it's a, a connection to 50 days, which is, by the way, taken straight from Shavuot, which means feast of weeks, because we have 49 days, seven weeks of seven days each that we are to count physically, and on the 50th day, uh, post-Pesach on the 50th day of Shavuot. And so we celebrate these every year. In Shavuot, we saw at Mount Sinai, the Exodus 19 and 20, Israel. I'm giving you a quick rundown. I know I'm talking fast, but uh, I'm giving you a quick rundown on some of these. But we see in Exodus 19 and 20, Israel stand at Mount Sinai. The audible voice of the Lord comes forth and speaks the Asiret Hadibrot, the ten words of the ten commandments to the nation of Israel. Israel enters into the marriage covenant with the Lord. That whole scenario was an image of a marriage, especially a Jewish wedding, a Jewish marriage, just like Yeshua so often he equates his first coming and second coming with that of the Jewish marriage with the betrothal ceremony and the wedding feast of the lamb and so on and all this imagery in the Shah, the new covenant writings about the wedding feast and the, the the relationship of husband and bride that we have with the Lord and so we see with Shavuot all of that occurring but just like what we see on Shavuot which by the way occurred on uh, I'm sorry uh, at Mount Sinai which occurred on Shavuot we also move forward to Acts 2 and we see the fulfillment of Shavuot in Acts 2 with the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh. And if you go look at Acts 2 in comparison with Exodus 19 and 20, we realize that they run almost perfectly congruently. The exact same things are happening. Fire upon the mountain, fire upon the heads of the believers. There's a voice of the Lord coming forth from the mountain. There was the voice of the Lord coming forth in prophetic and tongues and such from those that were speaking, those that were believers uh, at the temple. And, and all these different things are happening. It's just one thing after another, after another that are all occurring exactly the same as it did the first time all over again prophetically the second time. Uh, and then we move to the fall feast and we look at the fall feast and go, okay, well, what's the prophetic reality here? Uh, and we realize that they have to do with the return of Messiah, the second coming of Messiah, uh, with the sounding of the shofar, Yom Teruah, the feast of trumpets, the sounding of the shofar, which is a command for us, as we said earlier, to hear the sound of the shofar so that we're alert and ready for the uh, return of the Lord. We go to Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, also known as the Day of Judgment, in which we await the judgment throne of the Lord, and we see that all the nations will come, and, and the Lord will judge all of humanity. And then we move to Sukkot, and Sukkot is the 
Feast of uh, Tabernacles, but also called the Feast of the Ingathering. Uh, and so I believe that it's the feast, it's a time frame prophetically in which the Lord will gather all of us believers, all of the saints together uh, with himself. And I'm not going into theological discussion on when that will be. This isn't a post versus pre versus whatever. I'm a tri-trib, whatever happens, I'm going to try and make it. I don't really care how it all pans out. I want to make sure I'm there. Uh, and so, but, but I want you to understand that all of this, the Lord doesn't just randomly throw stuff out. And, and by the way, just because I spoke about all the rest of them, I will also mention Shabbat, the, the seventh day Sabbath, which also has a prophetic uh, reality in that there's uh, a couple of specific commands we can actually honor today about the Shabbat. There's a bunch of dealt with sacrifice and temple service and such. But we were commanded to have, uh, to, on, on the weekly Sabbath, the seventh-day Sabbath, we were commanded to rest in the presence of the Lord. And we were commanded to have a holy convocation, a gathering of, uh, of, of like-minded believers, if you would, on, uh, on the seventh-day Shabbat in the presence of the Lord. And there's a couple of things we definitively know about heaven. There's a lot of allegory and such. There's, you know, the streets are paved with gold and mansions and gates and what have you. There's a lot of allegory. There's two things we definitively know. First and foremost, we will eternally be resting in the presence of the Lord, in the literal presence of the Lord. And we will eternally be gathering together with the angels and saints in the literal presence of the Lord, uh, worshiping around the throne of Adonai for all eternity. Uh, and so when the Lord commanded us to have the Shabbat, when he gave it to us in Genesis, and he commanded us to celebrate the Shabbat, he commanded it as a prophetic reality. And we constantly cry out, we want to see heaven on earth, right? We, we say the, what's called the, the Lord's Prayer uh, uh, from the, the Gospels in which we say, Lord, your will be done on, in, on earth as it is in heaven, right? We can easily see that. We can easily line up with it. We honor the Sabbath, the Shabbat, and it all kind of falls from there. Uh, but we, we get a chance every single week, our entire, I mean, every single year, our entire life, once a week, 52 weeks a year, to experience literally heaven on earth. We get to experience what it's going to be like as we gather and worship and rest in the presence of the Lord and eternally doing so in the literal presence of the Lord. And as believers with the Ruach HaKodesh, we get to experience the literal presence here. In spite of everything else going on around us, we get to experience here and now. And so I want you to understand as we move through the high holy days that each of these have a prophetic reality too. And in the days that we live in today, there is a call that is upon our lives as believers that is a mandate from the Lord that we understand and that we understand for this specific time frame, for this specific season, because we are in days in which we are watching the Lord's words about the return of Mashiach become reality. Uh, I mean, just in the last two weeks, monster earthquakes, almost unheard of earthquakes in Mexico, uh, fires galore out west, hurricanes all over the place. At one point, we had three on uh, the Atlantic side and three on the Pacific side at the exact same time. Big hurricanes all over the Pacific one never hits anything, but for some reason the Atlantic ones do. Um, we had all of this going on. We have wars and rumors of wars and turmoil all over the globe. We have people starving. We have people professing to preach the gospel, and we know that it is not the gospel of Yeshua. We know it is a false gospel, a false narrative being sent out because Yeshua tells us that even in the end of days that there will be believers who are being deceived by the enemy who will think that it is the voice of the Lord coming forth, the word of the Lord coming forth, and it is total garbage, meant to deceive and destroy, meant to separate and dichotomize, meant to cause division and disunity. And I want you to understand something. The Lord does not breed disunity. If it causes splits, it is not of the Lord. It's just the bottom line. The Lord does not breed disunity. He calls us to gather together in unity in his presence. 
over and over again. So if you have your scriptures, open up to 2 Peter chapter 3. I want to kind of get on track here now. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. I get a little excited when the, 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 we're talking about the word of the Lord and, and what's happening around us. 2 Peter chapter 3 begins with, Loved ones, this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, and both I am trying to stir you up by way of reminder to wholesome thinking, to remember the words previously proclaimed by the holy prophets and the commandments of our Lord and Savior through our emissaries, the sent ones, the, the, the disciples that went out. First of all, understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing, following after their own desires and saying, where is this promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers died, everything goes on just as it has from the beginning of creation. For in holding it to this idea, it escapes their notice that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Through these, the word of that time was destroyed uh, by, by being flooded with water, but by the same word, the present heaven and earth are being reserved for fire, kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly people. And so we see, just like I said a moment ago, Yeshua said, there will be those that will come that will cause their intention is deceive, their intention is destroy the body. And he says that in the end of days, there will be those, even the elect that will be led astray, that will be caused to, to chase after things of this world or false ideas, false theologies, false uh, prophecy, and so on and so forth. And we can look, all, spend five minutes on YouTube. Just spend five minutes, type the word prophecy on YouTube and, and just look at the first three or four videos that roll. <laughs> it's, it's nothing to find all kinds of kook going on in the world around us, all right? That's just all there is to it. And so we have these scoffers, and, and just like this, said, I, I know people, sadly, who were, were solid believers that completely walked away from the Lord because they had experiences in their lives or events in their lives, things in their lives that happened, that they went, I've been waiting my whole life for his return. Why is he not here? Why is he not here? What are we waiting for? And this is the enemy trying to distract and destroy. But the reality is, is these attitudes, just like Peter just talked about, these attitudes take people away from the body of Messiah and not only take those that fall away, but also those that they take with them. Anybody ever seen a congregational split? It's not just one person that leaves. It's called a split because it literally breaks in half. People follow. We're all sheeple. We like to follow. We don't want to be the first one. We don't want to be the oddball out. Verse 8 says, but don't forget this one thing, loved ones, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like one day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some consider slowness. Rather, he is being patient toward you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. For 2,000 years, we as the body of Messiah have been standing around twiddling our thumbs crying out, why have you not come back, Lord? When are you coming back? <laughs> there has not been a generation alive since the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Messiah that did not read the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel and go, this is our day. There has not been a generation alive that did not read end-time prophecy and go, this is, this is happening now. So by the way, none of us are special because we're saying it. Everyone said it before us. I just think we're right. Uh, I think we drew the short straw and this is the generation where it's going to happen. Uh, but the reality is, the reality is, is that as we sit here questioning the Lord saying, but where is he at? For 2,000 years we've been waiting. He said some of those that, that were there, some of his disciples that were there wouldn't even see death before he came back and they've been gone for a long time, right? 
been gone for years. How many of us know a believer that's gone? Have they come, has Messiah come back since they've been gone? We've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and where is he? But then he can, Peter tells us, the Lord is not slow, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some consider slowness. In other words, he doesn't have to work on our timetable. He doesn't work on our time frame. He defined the time frame. We're either on board with it or we get out of the way, but he defined the time frame. And he goes on to say, rather, verse, uh, continuing in verse 9, rather he is being patient towards you. Patient toward who? Patient toward you and I and everyone else around us. He is being patient towards you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So yes, you and I are sitting here tonight because we accepted Yeshua as Messiah. Great, awesome. What are you doing with that? What are you doing with that? Because you've come to repentance, that's awesome. But guess what? He's waiting for everyone else to have a chance too. What are you doing with that? See, the reality is, is the days that we live in right now and, and even this time frame of the 10 days of awe, the, the, the time of repentance that we're looking at, this is here for us. This time is here for us so that we are able to impact the world around us for the message of Messiah. And if we are not doing what we are supposed to do for the message of Messiah, we are wasting our time. And, and if we're not doing what we're supposed to do for the message of Messiah, then the reality is you and I need to get our acts together. We need to get our acts together. Because the Lord's not waiting for you and I to repent anymore. He's waiting for the people we interact with to repent now. And he's put you and I here. And, and although the world around us and even ourselves sometimes are looking at this going, why is he taking so long? The Lord's standing right over us, tapping us on the shoulder going, I'm waiting for you to do your job. I'm waiting for you to do what I have saved you for, which is to lead others to salvation. During this period of time that we're in, the 10 days of awe, which is the time period beginning with Rosh Hashanah, the day that we're celebrating right now, running through Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah is the first of Tishrei on the Hebrew calendar. Yom Kippur is the 10th of Tishrei on the Hebrew calendar. So for 10 days, we spend an entire uh, 10 days in Judaism focusing on repentance, focusing on not repentance in the sake of, oh Lord, I you know, messed up again. Will you forgive me? Will you correct me? Will you whatever? And then we go about doing the same garbage over again. But in Hebrew, the word for repentance is teshuvah. Teshuvah. Teshuvah means to return. The idea is you're walking in the wrong direction. You recognize that you're walking in the wrong direction. You stop where you are. You turn around 180 degrees and you walk back to the presence of the Lord. Back when our sanctuary was with two sections and, and not three, it was a lot easier for me to demonstrate that because we had a center aisle and you could literally walk straight down the aisle, stop in your presence where you're at, turn around and walk back to the Aron Kodesh, the, the ark, the holy ark back here with the, the Torah in it. You could literally walk in Teshuvah and re return back to the ark representing the ark of the covenant in the Holy of Holies, which by the way, Hebrews has commanded us to boldly enter the Holy of Holies. And the only way we can do so is through Teshuvah, through true biblical repentance. Not just spouting off, oh, I lied again. Oh, I you know, flipped off the car next to me again because they cut me off. Oh, I you know, uh, cussed again. Or, oh, I you know, didn't tell the cashier that they gave me three extra dollars, so I stole three dollars. Oh, I didn't. And then going about doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. True repentance means you stop what was wrong and your life is restored in faithfulness. In, uh, in Jewish tradition, as I talked about the 10 days of awe leading from Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, this period is considered a time of repentance because uh, it's believed in Judaism that on Rosh Hashanah, the first of Tishrei, that the Lord opens up three books. 
And I'm going to read about them in just a second. But he opens up three books, and Judaism considers these to be vitally important realities. So uh, it says, uh, this is from myjewishlearning.com, about the, the Jerusalem Talmud and what it says on this particular issue. It says, the concept of these days as a special unit of time in the Jewish year dates at least to the 3rd century uh, BCE. Rabbi Yochanan, or Rabbi John uh, in, in English, who lived in the land of Israel during that period. This isn't Yochanan Hamabil or, or John the disciple, uh, but a rabbi that lived toward the third century or so. Uh, describes his concept, conception of divine judgment and inscription in this season. And this is from the, uh, the Jerusalem Talmud. It says, three books are opened in heaven on Rosh Hashanah. One for the completely wicked, one for the completely righteous, and one for those in between. The completely righteous are immediately inscribed in the book of life. The completely wicked are immediately inscribed in the book of death. The fate of those in the between is suspended until Yom Kippur, also known as the day of judgment. If they do well, they are inscribed in the book of life, if not in the book of death. Uh, I, I read that not because I believe that, uh, that we are being inscribed in three different books that's just not biblical uh but but i read that because there is a book of life and some of this is reality judaism says that the there's there's such polar opposites between righteousness and wickedness that few fall into either category on rosh hashanah that most of humanity falls in the in-between and so during the 10 days of awe we take time to be introspective to be repentive. We take time to seek out the face of the Lord, to draw out even the deepest, deepest, darkest secrets of our lives that even you and I are afraid to admit so that we can lay them at the feet of the Father in repentance. And then during that period of time, we are awaiting, uh, as we are striving to live righteous lives, we are awaiting judgment on Yom Kippur in which our names will either be inscribed in the book of life or the book of death. Now, I talk about this from the Babylonian Talmud for a specific reason. Because the reality of the book of life and the book of death are true. Whether we like to admit it or not. To be inscribed in the book of life, the word of God tells us that we must be saved by the blood of the Lamb. In Acts chapter 2, after the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh on Shavuot, uh, the, the men of Jerusalem, the men that were there at that particular time frame, cried out to, to Peter after hearing him preach the gospel, after they witnessed all this crazy stuff, he preached the gospel, and they cry out and say, so what are we to do now? What are we supposed to do? How do we get on the right track? And Peter proclaimed, repent and be immersed in the name of Yeshua. Uh, the reality is the very first step is repentance. Unfortunately for, for many of us as believers, we have this, this notion, this mentality that repentance is for the wicked, it's for the lost. It's for the unsaved, it's for the unchurched, or whatever other word we decide to use to manipulate the, the numbers so that we can feel better about things. The reality is, repentance for the outside world, unless they come to faith, means nothing. The problem is most of the body of Messiah doesn't walk in true repentance. Most of the body of Messiah doesn't walk in the restoration and redemption that has been given to us. We don't walk in the power of the blood of the Lamb. We don't walk in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit that He has given to us. We don't live this out in our own lives the way that we read the disciples doing so in the book of Acts. But we cry out, when is Messiah coming back? 
We want you to return, Yeshua. In Hebrew, we sing, Bo Yeshua, come Yeshua. Churches the globe over cry out, we want to see Messiah come back. We want to see Jesus come back. We want to see Christ come back. Whatever word you want to use. But we as the body of Messiah, we don't want to live our lives to actually be ready for when he comes back. We don't want to have to set aside the things that we enjoy. We don't want to admit that walking a life of righteousness and faith, which, by the way, we'll talk more about on Yom Kippur and the, 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 the call of sanctification, but walking in a life of righteousness and holiness redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you know what? It takes action. Walk is a verb. It takes action. We don't like to admit it. Oh, no, we said these words after the pastor. We're good to go. We got dunked in some water. It's okay. We never have to worry about it. And no. No. Yeshua says, and, and the disciples say, as we look through the, the Brachadashah, the New Covenant, the Word says, you will know those that are saved by what? The fruit that they produce. We can't truly produce fruit if our lives are garbage. Let's be honest about it. And I want you to understand something. We've been talking about this and preaching about this for a while now here at, at Mayim Chaim. I want you to understand something. We don't have a lot of time left. I don't name dates that Messiah is because really I don't care about that. I want to see Messiah return. I want to see as many lives as I can possibly be involved in affecting come to know Messiah before he comes back. That's what I care about. But the reality is, is we've been preaching for a while here at Maim Chaim. We don't have a lot of time left. We don't have time to be playing around with the acting like the world. We don't have time trying to make the world feel okay with us. We don't have time to try and make people okay and happy with us. We don't have to worry about any of that. None of it. None of it matters. But we also don't have time to live like the world. We don't have time not to be proclaiming the truth of the salvation of Messiah Yeshua, the redemption of Messiah Yeshua, and the repentance necessary to walk in that salvation and redemption. We don't have a lot of time for that. But it's still our call. It's still what the Lord has commanded for us to do. But it's not about words anymore. I don't think preaching the gospel is going to affect that many lives anymore. Don't get me wrong. Preaching the gospel is awesome. The problem is most of the people preaching the gospel, their lives don't live the gospel. Their lives don't reflect the gospel. And their lives don't show nothing about the gospel. So preaching the gospel is not going to do anything anymore because we live in a day and age where people can see the truth about our lives. Things we don't even want to see. They can see it. Right? Bottom line. They know it. Apologetics doesn't matter anymore. It's a great thing. It's a tool. It's awesome. We can defend our faith. That's great. It's awesome. I hope you can defend what you believe. Honestly, I do. But apologetics isn't going to save anybody. It's just not. As a matter of fact, I truly believe the only thing that will lead people to salvation is that we stop trying to reinvent the will. Because I go back to Acts 2, and I go to Acts 3, and Acts 4, and Acts 5, and Acts 6, and Acts 7, and Acts 8, Acts 9, Acts 10, and all the way through. And I realized that people didn't come to faith because Peter preached or Paul preached or anything like that. You know why people came to faith? Because they saw the power of God, the presence of God, the revelation of God in their midst. And the only way that the fervency of the presence and the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit of God, can be upon us is if we are truly walking in repentant lives, righteous lives, holy lives, bought by the blood of the Lamb, holy and entirely laid out for Him. That's it. You look at Acts 1, and you look at Acts 2, there wasn't a huge difference in what the disciples were doing at all. Acts 1, Yeshua ascends. My alarm doesn't say I'm done. I don't know what you're trying to tell me, but no. 
the beginning of Acts 1, the be- <laughs> ADD is a curse sometimes. The beginning of Acts 1, we see that the disciples gather together daily for prayer and, and studying the word and, and eating together and going to the temple and so on. And you know what they did at the end of Acts 1? They promoted one of their own. So, Acts 2. The end of Acts 2, you know what we read? They continued to stay together in prayer, studying the Word of God and going to the temple and so on. But you know what happened in the end of Acts 2? Thousands were added that day that were being saved. You know what the difference was? The power and presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit of God, among His bride, among His people. And it transformed lives. Because if you read the end of Acts 2 and that whole discussion, well, what do we do now, Peter? How do we get on board with this? You know why they asked that? Because they saw it in Peter's life. The chapters that follow, you know what it says? People ran out with their sick and laid them at their feet, hoping that their shadow might fall on them and they would be healed. Any of you experience that? People running behind you all awkward, throwing folks down at your feet, hoping your shadow will wash them, get up and walk. I haven't seen it happen. I have prayed for people and watched them get up and walk. I prayed for people and watched them be healed. It's not for my glory, it's for His. I've never prayed for somebody and watched them rise up out of the dead, though. You know what Yeshua says? When the comforter comes, the Ruach HaKodesh, we can do even greater things. I don't know how you top raising people from the dead, but He says we can. But the reality is, is if we're going to walk a repentive life, it's not just what we speak, it's about what we live. We've got to live a repentive life so wholly devoted. And I do mean H-O-L-Y. So wholly devoted to the power and presence of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit in our lives, that others turn to repentance because they saw the presence in our lives. If on an almost daily basis somebody doesn't walk up to you and go, Hey, something different about you. I can't put my finger on it. What is it? I want that. What do I need to do to be a part of that? Then you and I need to get our lives straight. We need to get back on track because we don't live in days and times anymore where we can just preach fire and brimstone and scare the crap into salvation, scare people into salvation, scare the crap out of them into salvation. However you want to word that, it wasn't coming out the way I wanted. We don't live in that time frame anymore. We can look at prophecy all day long, and I love to look at prophecy. I love it. I can tell you what I think is going on right now. Matter of fact, I gave you a hint of it earlier. I can tell you what I think is going on right now. But the reality is, is none of that matters. I mean, it does for us, and that's awesome and wonderful. But who wants to be the only one there? We're not called to be alone. We're called to impact the world. The promise that was spoken to Abraham was that through Abraham... All of the nations would be blessed. You and I, Jew and non-Jew, represent all of the nations. And through my family lineage, through my uh, 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 history, the, the, the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people as a whole, the entire world has had opportunity to come into salvation. That's awesome and wonderful, but what are we doing with it? The call that we have is to be repentive, and live lives of repentiveness, repentance, however you want to splice that word up. We're called to live lives in repentance daily. Right? The disciples said, live and die daily. We are called to live lives of repentance daily. 
so that the power and presence of the Lord can live in our midst because the Tanakh, the Old Testament tells us, the Torah tells us, the presence, the Shekhinah, the divine glory of the Lord cannot dwell in the midst of sin. So the question is, are we going to get our lives on track? And the beauty about this new year on the Hebrew calendar going to the year 5778 is we got a whole other chance to do it right. We got a whole other year to work through. I hope we have a whole other year to work through this. But you know what? We got to live this year and any year that follows it as though we don't have another day. Much less week, month, or years. We have to live our lives like we don't have another day. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And that's not so that you and I get our lives right. But it's so that we impact the world around us for the kingdom of God. I truly believe Rosh Hashanah this year. The sounding of the shofar this year is a call from the Lord. And biblically that's exactly what it is. is a call from the Lord. I believe that Rosh Hashanah this year is a call for the body of Messiah to actually decide that we want to be the set apart, righteous, holy bride of Messiah. Are we going to walk in faithfulness or are we going to waste God's time and gift of salvation? Because I don't care how many times you repeat the prayer after me. I don't care how many times you've gotten wet in the waters of, of, of immersion. I don't care how many times people have prophesied over you. I don't care how many times you've been healed or not been healed or been disappointed or been lifted up. I don't care about any of it. If your life is not impacting the lives of others for the kingdom of God, then you need to get your life straight with God now. Because we weren't given this gift of salvation to throw it away. We weren't given a gift of salvation to be greedy. One of the issues with Israel and the Tanakh was that we were greedy with the presence of the Lord. We were commanded by God to be a light to the nations. That's what Abraham and his descendants were called out for. And we were greedy. We were greedy with the tabernacle. We were greedy with the temple. We were greedy with the Torah. We were greedy with the presence of the Lord. And the body of Messiah does not have the right or the time to be greedy with the Jewish Messiah any longer. We either get on fire or we get the heck out of the way because God wants to use us for his purposes and his kingdom, not our own. It's not about bank accounts and jets and big cars and big buildings or anything else. It's about seeing lives come to salvation. I got no problems with huge congregations as long as those huge congregations are impacting the world for the kingdom of God and not being country clubs. The problem is, is we're typically country clubs. If you're sitting here today and you're looking at me and you're going, what the heck is this guy talking about? then you need to get on your face before the Lord. Either that or just get out of his way. Because he doesn't, we don't. He's got all the time in the world. We don't have the time left to waste this gift that has been given to us. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some consider slowness. Rather, he is being patient toward you and every soul out there. Not wanting anyone to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for conviction. Father, we thank you for conviction, for waking our hearts up. 
Father, I thank you for the sound of the shofar on this Yom Taruah, on this Yom Rosh, on this Rosh Hashanah, this new year, on this Feast of Trumpets. I thank you, Lord, for the sounding of the shofar to awaken our hearts, our souls, and your spirit within us. And Father, I cry out. Lord God, I cry out for your anointing. The anointing of your Ruach HaKodesh, the anointing of your Shekhinah, your divine glory and Holy Spirit upon each and every person that hears these words tonight. Father, I pray for the anointing of your Spirit, God, to move just as the sounds of the shofar move, Lord. That the winds of your breath of your Ruach will flow upon us just as the winds of the shofar, the noise of the shofar move upon our ears and our hearts and awaken us. Father, I pray that we fill you inside even deeper and more powerful than we felt the sounds of the shofar inside. Father, I pray you wake us. Wake us as a sleeping giant that we will come awake, come alive, and that you will use us to impact the world around us. Father, I pray that you inspire us tonight and tomorrow morning and throughout this season that we recognize that as the bride of Messiah, we have an obligation to be ready, alert, and aware for your return for your bride. And Father, we long for that announcement and we cry out, Blessed is he who comes. In the name of the Lord, B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu. In the name of Yeshua Messiah, alone is our salvation, we pray. Amen.